In this week's episode, I chat with my friend Jason Vitug about how money can affect your happiness, pillars of wellness that relate to money, and more. The Mental Health and Wealth Show, the Mental Health and Wealth Show, the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Welcome to the Mental Health and Wealth Show podcast. This is your host, Melanie Lockhart. My journey with money and mental health started in 2012 when I was depressed and anxious about my student loan debt. In 2013, I started my blog, Dear Debt, which chronicled my debt payoff journey and changed my life. I later published my book of the same name about how I paid off $81,000 in student loan debt. It was my time blogging that showed me that I wasn't alone in my mental health struggles around money and that my own mental health impacted how I related to money. My mission now is to help others feel less alone and tackle these difficult topics. As a disclaimer, I am not a mental health professional or a financial professional, and all content on the show should not be considered professional medical or financial advice. As a trigger warning, please note that content on the show may include sensitive topics around mental health and suicide. If you are in distress, please get in touch with a professional by texting HOME to 741-741. Thank you so much for being here, and if you'd like to support the podcast, please subscribe and review on your favorite podcast platform, and feel free to share episodes on social media and tag me at Melanie Lockhart. I would love to hear from you. This is Melanie Lockhart, host of the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Today, I'm bringing back my friend, Jason Vitug, who is a wellness advocate and best-selling New York Times-reviewed author of two books, Happy Money, Happy Life, and You Only Live Once. He's the founder of Frugal.com and is an award-winning creator of the Road to Financial Wellness Project, which I helped project manage, by the way. It was so much fun. Jason is a certified diversity, equity, and inclusion expert, holds psychology of financial planning certification, and is also a certified yoga teacher and breathwork specialist. Jason focuses on a holistic approach where money isn't the goal. Money is the tool to help achieve the goals. Learn more on frugal.com and connect on social media at Jason Vitag. Welcome back to the show. I'm super excited to have you. Thank you so much, Melanie. I'm excited to be here. We have gone through quite a lot since I've been on the show. And so thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you back. You're one of my favorite people in life and personal finance. So to be able to share time with you and to share our conversation with the audience is so amazing. You have such an exciting new book out. I just pre-ordered my copy. I'm so excited to share this with people. So let's just dive right in. What inspired you to write this book, Happy Money, Happy Life? Great title, by the way. Thank you. Uh, So one of the key things was back in 2016 with the success of You Only Live Once, my publisher wanted me to write a second book, a follow-up, and pitch this idea. I wanted it about happiness as it relates to money, but I also wanted to break open the important conversation around mental and emotional health. At the time, they told me, you think money is taboo and there isn't a market for it. So you think back has transpired since 2016, uh, more and more organizations, people in the media are talking about mental health. And they came back to me in early 2022 to say, remember that book you wanted to write? Well, there's a demand for it. And I go, obviously. And so <laughs> yeah, I, it's a, bit of, a lot of mental health uh, conversations the past couple of years. Yeah, there really is. And, and you're one of the trailblazers uh, oh, when it comes you. to that. And so for me, I wanted to talk about my story and really open up about some of the mental stresses, the emotional trauma, the physical ailments that I was going through that was affecting my finances. And also the financial affecting my emotional and and physical well-being. And so I wanted to write a book that was a bit more holistic than You Only Live Once, which really focused on time. And so for me, this was really a culmination of my journey where I've always asked people like, you know, imagine yourself, you know, close your eyes and answer the question, what brings joy and happiness into my life? And so I've asked question in all my events. And for some reason, 
I didn't put two and two together until I finished writing this book that I was always about joy and happiness. I mean, you know me, right? I'm, I do wellness and, and financial wellness, but I've always talked about what brings joy and happiness. But for some reason, it wasn't clicking in my mind. And so the genesis of this book was I really just want people to understand my journey, the pains, the successes, the trials and tribulations, all the ugliness, and also all the beautiful things growth. And so that's how Happy Money, Happy Life came about because I've fully opened the curtains and no longer holding on to shame and guilt and embarrassment for the financial mistakes and really allowing myself this opportunity to heal. And I know I'm not alone. I interviewed you for this book and you're part of that story because your story has helped me heal in my journey. And I knew I needed to include your story, intertwine it with mine, so others can understand and relate to many more people. And I think that is part of how we can ultimately heal from, from the trauma, deal with the stress, and be able to choose happiness. Thank you so much for that. You're making me a little bit teary-eyed saying that I helped you heal. And I think healing in public is so powerful. I also want to say that sometimes your healing will trigger a lot of people who are still mm -hmm. unhealed. So I just want to mention that, but also it can inspire people to want to be better, to change. And I think what you're doing with the financial wellness conversation, with the mental health, emotional health conversation is so amazing and important, especially as a man who is, you know, spearheading this conversation, opening the curtain, as you say. So it's kind of dovetails nicely into my next question about how have your personal experiences from your first book, You Only Live Once, up until now shaped this book? Like, what were those experiences? You kind of touched on them a little bit, but what was that kind of turning point or that realization that made you say, I need to write this book? What's interesting, we tend to think our journey is pretty linear, right? I think we, we know that there are ups and downs, twists and but I think we are hopeful that our journey is linear. We start in one place, we end up in another place. And this linear line has a upward trajectory. So pretty much all the things that we're going is past and we're, we're climbing up the mountain to, to meet our peak. And that's where we life. And so with You Only Live Ones, I talked about my journey of leaving corporate America and backpacking around the world and starting frugal and going on this journey of sharing all this out into the world. At the same time, I really didn't fully grasp that I became an entrepreneur. And I may have taken that that term and used that use that word to describe who I was at the point, but there was a lot going on personally, professionally with the business and and what have you. And even with the success of the book and being able to travel all around the country, talking about my story, sharing my message on financial wellness, the truth of the matter is there are always challenges that we are going through when things seem to be going well. And I think that was a part for me was, was a big challenge because, okay, business is going well. My professional life is great. I'm getting noticed, money's flowing in. And then I started feeling physical pain. I started uh, being unable to keep my eyes awake. So if I'm having conversations with, with a friend, I would fall asleep. I mean, how many times has that happened to you or to any of the listeners that you're, you're actively talking to someone and you fall asleep while mid-conversation? And there are moments I couldn't get out of bed and I would suck it up to be like, okay, well, this is my, my annual SAD, my seasonal affective uh, disorder, and I'm just feeling it. But eventually speaking with doctors and, and my general practitioner, he said, this is not a, an actual medical diagnosis. You have adrenal fatigue and your body's out of whack. And that just means I was running in stress and my mind was 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 kind of normalizing that pace of which I was hustling. And I think 
that's what I want to touch on. Like what has changed? And that had a lot to do with the height of hustle culture, right? We keep hustling and grinding and anything we know, like gears that grind for too long, get worn out and then thrown out. Well, Melanie, I got worn out and I threw myself out. And I think that's how I disappeared for some time. And I would do, I would still work in, in the end to get the message out there. But ultimately, I realized that I wanted to start talking about this multidimensionality of what makes us us. When we think life is pretty grand, but there's something that's missing. Or we may think that nothing is going well, but there's certainly something that is going well. And it's so hard to conceptualize that. And so when I wrote You Only Live Once, I was like, wait a minute, there's something much more than financial wellness because there's mental health, there's physical health. And then I started thinking about, well, also there's about spiritual development. And I'm the type of person who enjoys working. So there must be something about occupational health. And then I started thinking about, wait a minute, my environment, the physical places I inhabit affect my mental health. And so all of this was culminating. And I said, you know what? I think we're more than just this idea of, of like one dimension. Uh, we are multidimensional. We are multilayered. We are multifaceted. And that's when I started thinking and conceptualizing the dimensions of wellness. And I thought, came up with a breakthrough, right? I thought this was it. I mean, no one knew about this. And I started researching and I realized wellness dimensions is a thing in psychology. It's something that that many social workers use as well. And so as I continued studying and learning, I realized I wanted to talk more and more about mental health, emotional health, physical, spiritual, social, environmental, occupational, financial. And with Happy Money, Happy Life, this book, what I've done was weave the money conversation in each of those dimensions, something that hasn't been done before. Because I wanted people to understand that money does affect each of these dimensions in one way or another. And if and just as an example, social so these are your connections with your family, your friends, your partners, your coworkers. Well, yeah, we might not think how does money affect that that and well, in the event that you decide to not attend a wedding or you decide to skip out on lunch or drinks with the friends. So then eventually your goal of trying to achieve financial numbers or to save money may actually be impacting connection negatively. Therefore, it's going to affect your, your social well-being. Now, if you see that you're getting less and less invites out with friends, all of a sudden it's going to affect you mentally. And then it might uh, you might start lashing out emotionally. And then that psychological distress is going to manifest physically. Now you can't even physically get out. So what I'm trying to use with this example is that everything is connected. And I learned through my lived experiences how truly connected they are and how money affects one of these dimensions. And not just negatively, they can affect them positively. And so when we can use money as a tool, we can then use money to positively affect these different aspects of our being, these eight wellness dimensions. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And I definitely feel you on like the physical health issues and having pain and fatigue. It's so important to listen to your body. And I think you brought up such a great point of what you see from people's success or, you know, having a lot of money, like, we focus on that, but we don't look at what are the costs to afford that success. And sometimes, you know, the harm is more than the good, right? And so I think you had this turning point of saying, okay, I've achieved all these things. I've hustled so hard. Both you and I did as well. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. but at what cost? At the cost of my physical health, my mental health. And I love that you mentioned that everything is interconnected because they absolutely are 
It affects every single aspect of our life. And I think you've touched on this already, but I just want to make sure we've covered it all. So, you know, in the book, you have several components that make up a happy life. Mm-hmm. Like, What are these components and why are they important? I think you touched on them, but just want to make sure we can go over them again or in depth yes. further if you'd like. Yes, yes, because it is uh, very important and it is the premise of the book. And so these eight dimensions of wellness, they include your mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, social, environmental, occupational, and financial health. Now, I call these different wellness dimensions something in my book. So for instance, mental health is happy mind. Emotional health is happy heart. Physical health is happy body. Occupational health is happy work. So you can you can start envisioning that from wellness dimensions, I call it the happy dimensions. And the premise is, again, money weaving itself in these dimensions and how we can buy happiness if we spend on wellness. And when I talk about spending money, it isn't necessarily saying I'm going to buy some candles, I'm going to buy some aromatherapy, or I'm going to go on a vacation or things like that. Those things certainly are great coping techniques. They also can be great kind of routines that we we do to help us. But I am talking more about things that will give you a longer more sustaining impact on your emotional health and your emotional well-being. And as an example, in the book, I wrote about someone upset at work and enjoy their job. And then eventually things became toxic and he wanted to leave. And instead of finding a way to leave, he thought he could just purchase a new vehicle. So he went out and he bought a luxury car and he was happy and ecstatic for a couple of months. And then eventually he realized what he's just done. He actually locked himself at the job he hated. That's because he now had a monthly payment he needed to pay for. And so part of that for him was a realization that he was spending money on distractions as opposed to solutions. And now he's working in a way where he wants to buy back his time. So paying off the car in addition to saving enough money so he could at least buy back three months of his life. And so he can quit his job that he hates and take the time to find something else that's a bit more suitable. And to me, that is an example how money can buy happiness by spending on wellness, spending on buying back that time. So that's just one example of how that dimension can be affected by money. And we also know too, I said like where the dimensions are interconnected, they're overlapping and because they have a ripple effect. So if you are unhappy at work, chances are you're in mental distress and then you're becoming emotionally stable. And then that's affecting you psychologically, which will manifest itself physically. Now you have all these medical issues and these medical issues are going to cost you money. And something that my friend Patrice Washington from the Redefining Wealth podcast shared, and I I quoted her in the book, was that sometimes, and I'm paraphrasing now, but sometimes we work so hard to achieve these financial milestones. We work ourselves to the bone. We save, 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 not enjoying the financial wins that are coming along and not aware that grinding and beating our body up just sets us up for a future where we're going to use all that money to pay for prescriptions we can't pronounce and for doctor visits. That certainly was the trajectory that I was headed. That's so powerful. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, you brought up so many good points about spending money as a distraction. I actually just wrote an article on retail therapy that was so insightful and informative because retail therapy is a thing. We spend money to feel Mm -hmm. better. There are research studies that say it does actually work for a period Mm -hmm. of time, but it doesn't necessarily solve the long-term problem. And actually, one quote that I read a couple of months ago, which I totally don't remember who it was, so I apologize, but I'm going to be paraphrasing, 
But basically it was about this idea. If you look around your house, everything in your house costs money. And that used to cost hours of your life at your job, right? And you just think about how many hours of my life have bought all this stuff, right? And how how much wealth have I spent on this stuff? And has it actually added value to my life? And maybe it has. And if it has, great. But I'm sure a lot of us have you know, been caught in that trap where we buy something because it feels nice for a couple of days or a couple of weeks, a couple of months. And then it sits on a shelf and gets dusty. And then you think about, oh my gosh, how much money have I spent on all of these items yes. in my house? And then compare that to my hourly rate, my annual salary. How much money and time have I used on all of this stuff, right? And that might not be what's causing us sustainable happiness, long-term happiness. Like I'm much more of an advocate for spending money on therapy, on going boxing, on exercise gyms, on classes that make you feel good. Obviously, those are my values. Maybe they're not your values, but you know, what can move the needle on your holistic wellness, on your happiness? And I think you brought up so many good points. And yeah, like we need to take care of our bodies and our minds because mm-hmm. those medical costs will add up. I spent <laughs> they, like they, they a lot will. of money on medical costs last year. I'm grateful that I had the money to, um, you know, take care of it. But I thought, wow, this is just the tip of the iceberg. I can't imagine how much more costly this could be. So definitely take care of your physical health, your mental health, because you made such a good point that it's all interconnected. And I want people to go back to listen to the chronic pain and trauma episode, because that was such a wonderful episode highlighting how some of these emotions get stored in our body and cause chronic pain that we don't know where it came from, why it happens, why it won't go away. And sometimes we just need to have that holistic wellness to be fully taken care of, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And so one of the key things that I learned, right, I I did a ton of research, read a ton of papers, and got a better understanding between the difference between mental health and emotional health, because I think I was using them interchangeably and I didn't fully grasp the different concepts. And I wanted for people to understand why there's two sectors for mental and emotional health in the book. And that, and you hit the nail on the head in terms of like emotions can show itself up physically. And that shows the relationship between emotional health and your phys- the, the emotional dimension and the physical dimension that does happen. And one of the key things too that I've learned is that our emotions are a response to the environment physically in or mentally in. And so for instance, if we environments or if we are in an unsafe home, it elicits a, an emotional response. So we are constantly in a fight or flight mode in our body And our body then responds because of this emotional heightening in this situation and starts pumping out all these stress hormones. The stress hormones can then affect your mental processing. And now all of a sudden, you're you're unable to think clearly. You're having brain fog. You can't concentrate. And then eventually, if you're doing all the mental gymnastics to pretend everything is okay, Well, now you have your mental and emotional stress that starts appearing, manifesting physically. And so it's like, it's all connected. And so it could be overwhelming, right? To go, okay, well then where do I start? Where do, what area, what dimension should I, should I begin the work? And in that example that I just shared, when it comes to work situation or like a response to a situation, that is what is environmental wellness. That the environmental wellness, which I call happy space, is the physical space you inhabit, your home, your work, your community, the world. All this affects your wellness. If you live in a cluttered home, I read studies that show people who have cluttered homes, cluttered desks, tend to have or deal with more stress. There is heightened cortisol levels. In addition, people who lived in cluttered homes and cluttered spaces, they tend to have debt. 
there is this correlation, not exactly causation, but a correlation. And so it's important for us to understand when we're trying to figure out, okay, I want a happy space. I need to clean my happy space. And why you find it difficult decluttering, it might have to do with another part of what makes you you. And that's the beauty, I think, once people start understanding the wellness dimensions, you can then start honing in on the area that needs support by identifying the area that is one of your strengths. And so I think that is is something that's important for people to understand. We are strengthly, we can be strong in one area, multiple areas, weak in many others. Maybe naturally, maybe it's just a result of, of a lot of different factors. But what we can do is lean into our strengths and utilize that to support an area that needs it. And what happens then, it's again, it's that ripple effect because it is all interconnected. Are you enjoying this conversation? Then you'll definitely want to check out Jason's new book, Happy Money, Happy Life from your favorite bookstore. Also, if you want to learn a new coping technique like breathwork and support me and Jason, you can now purchase Jason's session from the Mental Health and Wealth Summit that I hosted called Breathwork, Unlocking the Power of Intentional Breathing to Set, Reset, and Relax at melanielocker.gumroad.com for just $20. That is M-E-L-A-N-I-E-L-O-C-K-E-R-T dot G-U-M road.com. We will have the link for you in the show notes. So many good points. And yeah, I think it's very important that we analyze what are we actually needing and what are the ways that we are coping? Because sometimes Mm -hmm. we're just doing things as coping mechanisms, not realizing that that might be harmful. Like, yeah, if we are engaging in retail therapy and that's what's leading to credit card debt. You know, or yeah, can I add something on that? Yeah, of course. Because so when you mentioned retail therapy as something working, yes, I read probably the same research as you. It does work. It's a temporary measure, it's a coping technique, it's an effective coping technique. But we all know if all we're doing is retail therapy to cope with a situation, an environment that's unhealthy or a past trauma. Well, guess what? It's going to lead to financial distress. And then eventually one day, you're not even going to remember what the issue was that was causing you to use retail therapy as a coping mechanism. You're just going to start thinking about money as the problem. Oh, yeah, that definitely resonates with me. But in the sense of me using alcohol as a coping mechanism, Um, I numbed myself out for 15 plus years with alcohol and money as the issue. And so then, yeah, it's, that's exactly it. And, and I talked about that specifically, uh, alcohol and different coping techniques. And the, the bigger point for me is for people to understand that there are ways to start uncovering and you do a great job in the podcast and, and everything that you do. And there's a lot of resources that you've shared that helps us uncover what some of these root issues are. And the part that I felt was missing was how these parts are connected to other parts. And and that's why I keep bringing it back to this book and why I fell in love writing this book. It's because it's the first time I hope people understand why certain things are challenging. When we're using coping technique, whether it's retail therapy or alcohol to deal with situations and it really doesn't resolve them, it's fostering financial distress. The financial distress is now creating mental stress. And and then the mental stress is now manifesting itself physically. Now we're in physical pain. And all we want to do is get back to that alcohol to to numb our body. And we're going, wait a minute, which started first? And I talk about that. Like the, the issues I was going through, the mental and financial issues, I forgot which came first. Was it the mental health or was it the financial issues? And the interesting thing is that after a while, it's just all it's again, it's so related that there is that inverse relationship that that we had talked about. So I want people to understand, and I keep re-emphasizing this because I'm so excited that this is getting out into 
called. I'm excited that we're talking about this because once we fully grasp it's all connected, we then can figure out what area to focus on and not feel overwhelmed, not feel that we're unable to do what others are seem like that they're doing better. And, you know, I just, I just want to end off with, it, with this one thing and <laughs> we can move on, but it's the, I've met a lot of famous people, a lot of people who have money and wealth and fame. And, and what's interesting is that they'll tell me that at the middle of the night, they're laying in bed, staring at the ceiling, wondering, you know, about something missing. They're like, something is missing and I can't put my finger on it. And then from the outside, we'll look at them. They have mental clarity. They can express themselves emotionally. They look physically well. They have a great job. So work-wise, they live in beautiful homes. They have the, the happy spaces. They have what seems to be an awesome social network. So they have the social health. And then I ask, what about your spiritual well-being? And then they'll look and go, is that the void, the nagging feeling in my gut that something is missing and I can't put a finger on it? And they go, well, yeah, if you think you've got all those other dimensions covered and you don't feel like you have a sense of purpose or a sense of direction or something, some meaning greater than yourself, well, we need to start addressing the spiritual void that you're experiencing. Start working on the spiritual development aspect of well, how do I even start? I go, take a look. You, you told me that you have a healthy social network. That is one of your strength, uh, very strong wellness dimension. Perhaps there's someone in your social network, a family or friend who's into spirituality or who's been in, in a quest to better themselves or find the meaning of life. And why don't you spend more time with them? Why don't you just... Uh, yeah, devote more time and cultivate that relationship. And perhaps it'll expose you to something that you weren't aware exists. And so again, that's another example of how these dimensions connected. So important. And I love that you mentioned spiritual health, because I think it's something that is lacking for a lot of people, or they don't know where to start. I include myself with that, you know, as recently as a few years ago, and I feel like I'm starting to get more aligned with my purpose, my spirit, you know, getting connected to that portion. And I just wanted to say, you know, all these coping mechanisms are really just a band-aid, whether they're retail therapy or alcohol, drugs, sex, food, what have you, these are band-aids for larger issues. And, you know, I wanted to say earlier, like when I stopped drinking, I thought, oh, drinking's the problem. I just need to get my drinking under control. And, you know, I stopped drinking and then all these other issues <laughs> came back and I was like, oh my gosh, no, actually drinking was the solution to my problem. My problem were all these other things. And so actually all of these things that we do that we think are the problem are probably the solution to your actual problems. <laughs> They're very effective coping mechanisms. Our brains, you know, code in our brain. Oh, this makes me feel good this works, I'm going to do this, right? Until at some point it doesn't work anymore and you think that's the problem. But then once you get that under control, all the underlying issues that caused you to do those things are still there. And so I just wanted to say, first of all, dealing with emotions, you know, it's a very exhausting process. <laughs> um, also repressing things through coping mechanisms is like 10 times more exhausting. So if you can kind of shorten that gap to just be aware of your emotional health, what's going on, you can move faster and heal faster and you know, continue to grow in ways that you might not realize. I love that. And, and what's, what's powerful when you talked about the emotion and suppressing and what I've learned through the research that I've shared was that emotional intelligence our EQ, right? We have IQ for our mental, our emotional is EQ. We aren't taught emotional intelligence. We aren't taught to assess our emotions. And so for me, I've learned it's like, okay, well, yes, we need to express our emotions, but before expressing emotions, we need to be able to assess what those emotions are. 
because emotions, feelings are a response to a an environment, a situation. And if we remain in that environment or situation, we will always respond emotionally the same way. And eventually that is just another way of putting ourselves into mental dis- mental health issues that is a clinically diagnosable health uh, problem. And so for me, sharing the importance of increasing our awareness about emotions and not just necessarily saying, okay, well, this is how I'm feeling. It's the truth. It's it's real. I go, well, yes, that is the response to an environment, a situation, but what's triggering that emotion? And so if I was stressed about looking at a bill coming into the mail and I can't open the, the letter or open up that email, well, every single time I'm avoiding that letter or that email from a creditor, well, I'm actually, that's that's an emotional response. There's a fear component out of that. And so for me, I've been really big on getting people to understand we are not our feelings. Our feelings are a response. And that also means we should not res- repress our feelings because it's telling us something about a situation, something about an environment that isn't right and you need to get out of it. And again, it could be in in the place you live, it could just be in your financial after to, to the root of it. And so it's for me, when we're looking at money, how can you improve your emotional health with money? Well, it's spending money on things that help you understand. Things like uh, spending money on meditation coaches or a meditation app and a retreat. Things such as like boxing for you. And I I remember you sharing ones, mental and emotional clarity. And because a physical act has a connection to these two other dimensions, and so there, there are different things that you can spend your money to start uncovering and start learning about why you're feeling the way you're feeling, as opposed to using just coping techniques to repress or face the actual underlying issue. So many important points. I love that. And that brings me to my next question, which I love. So why is money one of the most important things, yet also one of the least important things in life? <laughs> well, money isn't everything, but money impacts most things. And that has a lot to do with the society that has been built way before we were even born or our parents, our grandparents. So whether you agree with me or not, it plays a big role in the life that we live or the life we can live. So money has that importance because it affords our ability to pay for the necessities of life, the essentials. But also I want people to understand that money can only help you up to a point. I've met and interviewed enough millionaires, one billionaire who tell me all the time, money can't happiness. And I always push back. And eventually they say, well, you know, for this instance, yeah, money can buy sex, but money can't buy love. Money can buy people to hang out with, but money can't buy true connections with friends. Money can buy a house, but money doesn't provide the security. And so when we're thinking about money is going to solve all the problems that we're looking to solve, it will only solve up to So it is important up to that point, but eventually we need to look at the greater picture, the grander picture, and that has less to do with money and more to do with feeling safe and secure, feeling loved, feeling connected, feeling creative, and our ability to give to others. When I interviewed about 100 people and the studies of, well, really great scientists who've done more of the rigorous happiness studies, what I found was that, yes, what we're ultimately looking for is more time, 
to do things that's meaningful, connections with with others, and also just being able to create and give. So it's important for us to know that you can do those things without money. But oftentimes, you know, we're, we've programmed ourselves to go, well, I can't do that until I've hit this financial milestone. Well, maybe you can hold off hitting that financial milestone a couple more months so you can go do the other thing that's important to you. Love it. So important. Money can buy a lot of things, but it cannot buy everything. So I think, Mm -hmm. you know, we should understand where can money be useful for us, you know, in buying us a home and buying us food and buying us shelter and things that we value. And what are the things that are priceless that money cannot buy? True love, true friendship, true connection, family gatherings, um, a sense of closeness, a sense of security. There's these are things that money can't necessarily buy. And so we can appreciate them in different ways, but understand that money is very important, but it's also not everything and can't buy everything, right? Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. you talk about kind of happy work, which I love. I think that's so important and also how it relates to money and mental health. And so we live in a culture that idolizes our successes, our jobs, our titles, our incomes, we use that as a way to kind of inflate our self-worth. And I think all of us have fallen into that trap at some point or another. And, you know, right now we're seeing a lot of layoffs happen. Mm -hmm. So for people who tie up their self-worth or success with money and work, how can they start to change that and kind of divest themselves from that association? Yes. One of the key things here why layoffs are stressful, it's because we may not have the financial means to cover our basic living expenses. And we can spend another hour talking about living below our means or living at our means. And so that is something I want to acknowledge that why layoffs are stressful for many people, it's because it's expensive to live in this world and the price of everything continues to go up. The cost of living And so sometimes you want to, or you are saving money to protect yourself for the unexpected, but it's not enough because the external world has changed and it's much more expensive than you had originally planned. So I want people to understand that there are different factors to consider. But also one of the key things, as you mentioned in society, we tie our self-worth to our professional titles. We tie our self-worth to the income that we make. And again, that's a, those are societal values. And I'm not discounting that because we are part of society and that's what makes us us, right? We, can't ex- it, we cannot remove ourselves societal demands or, or, or things like, again, that is part of social connection, social health, a feeling of belongness. But what tends to happen is that instead of us feeling like we belong because we have a specific career or we have we have a socioeconomic um, livelihood, a certain socioeconomic livelihood, we start to conflate that with our sense of self. And our sense of self, again, is more than the title and an income. And just to give you an example, for me, I used to believe, I was just my my income. I worked myself to the bone to become an executive and also to achieve a six-figure salary, which is unimaginable for someone who grew up in a first-gen household. Then eventually, I substituted that with basically entrepreneurial goals and getting that fancy title and revenue goals. So it, it's basically the same thing. And, and so we we wrap it up. So whether you're working the nine to five, you're an entrepreneur listening to this show, I want you to understand if you're wrapping up your identity, your sense of self and titles and income and revenue, it is going to hit even harder when the business no longer succeeds or when you're laid off at work. And so for me, the solution for one, utilizing money to give yourself a buffer. And 
you know, to go a bit more granular in the financial aspect is looking at your monthly basic expenses and hearing that you have nine to 12 months to cover basic. And then I'm not talking about all the, the frills, just basic living expenses. So in the event that something were to happen, you are at the very least eliminating or reducing the stress from the financial aspect of your wellness. And then you can deal with the mental and emotional pain of being laid off. And then you could deal with, with uh, other parts. So again, using the framework of the eight dimensions and using money to start the change, but also thinking about that in a different way. So money isn't going to solve it because I've seen a lot of people who continue to chase a financial number and then something catastrophic happens and realizing that everything they've worked for wasn't, you know, didn't matter. And so whether that catastrophe is related to being laid off at work and certainly can be for many people, I want you to understand that you can start unraveling some of the pain and some of the issues that are compounding the pain you're experiencing from this layoff and focusing your efforts on some of these key areas. Yeah, I think having a full life outside of your job and your title and your income, you know, are, are so important to feel fulfilled in other ways. And yeah, if you put your whole identity into your job, into your work, if something happens, it is soul crushing to, you know, yeah. have that fall from grace. I know when I was underemployed and couldn't find a full-time job, you know, in 2012, when I was struggling to pay off my debt, I felt useless. I felt unwanted. I felt like I had such low self-esteem. And, you know, we really do conflate having an income, having a job, having, you know, a positive net worth with our self-worth. And mm -hmm. I had to finally realize that I am still valuable as a human, whether I'm working or not. I'm still valuable as a human, regardless if I'm making 20000 or or 100000 I'm still yeah. valuable, right? You, and you are. You are. And I'm, not, I'm, I'm, letting <laughs> you know, I'm letting you know right now, Melanie, you are valuable more than the professional or the income successes you are more valuable than those things too. And so think about this. If you can view yourself as eight dimensions, comprising of eight dimensions, work and money are only two out of the eight. So it doesn't make you whole. So focusing on just work is not going to make you feel more yourself. Focusing just on money goals isn't going to make you more of yourself. And so understanding that, okay, I, I don't have, I, I got to a point where I'm content at work at my position or okay with my finances. I'm going to spend some time developing my social connections. I'm going to spend my time changing my environment and going out to the parks and which is going to affect my health. And so it's stuff like that. And then eventually you're going to realize it's like, oh yeah, you know who I am? I am a person who is purposeful. I am a person who is healthy, going to boxing, have a meditation practice. You can start defining yourself in so many more ways. And so in the event you are laid off from work, you're not dependent on that work title to define your existence. You can certainly acknowledge, and it's important, acknowledge the emotional pain of being let go, the mental distress it spurs, but then you come back and realizing, you know what I am? I am a good person with loving family and friends. I am a spiritual person. So again, just looking at these dimensions, I think it's, it's worthwhile. Love it. So I'm going to end the interview by asking how can someone use their money to get a happy life? Yeah, so I think we've covered this in, in some different examples. And one area I want people to understand is that money is a tool 
to create what? And I think you've heard me in many, many talks when I would ask attendees, money is fill in the blank. And most people will say money is a tool. I mean, that that is the assumed answer. And for me, that is the correct answer. Money is a tool, but I've I want to add money is a tool to create what? And I want you to take a moment to think about the life that you are creating, the life that you want to live. And that is ultimately is a happier life. It's not about comparing yourself to my life, to your friend's life, to your parents' life. All those things can influence you. But with money, with intention, with direction, you can utilize all of this to build, to create a happy life. Love it. Thank you so much for sharing all of your thoughts on this amazing interview. If people wanted to follow your work and purchase the book, where can they find you and buy the book? Thank you so much. I recommend everyone connecting with me on social media. I am a big user of Instagram. If you like following all the health stuff and I'm act pretty active on Twitter as well, ensuring I share my joys and happiness, my influence in that space. And my book, Happy Money, Happy Life, a multidimensional approach to health, wealth, and financial freedom is available at your favorite bookstore. And I say at your favorite bookstore because I am in the mission to get people supporting their local bookstores. So you can go to bookshop.org to grab so I yourself. I just bought a, mine. <laughs> yes, yes. Awesome. To, uh, to support the local communities and, and small business owners. And so I do recommend, and again, whatever works for you, um, I definitely think you'll take, you'll you'll get a lot from this. It's a book I fell in love with. If I can fall in love with a book <laughs> and um, a way for you to live your most healthiest, wealthiest, and happiest life. Love it. Thank you. Buy the book and thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Want more content and support? Sign up for the Mental Hump newsletter and get our free mental health and money inventory worksheet. You can sign up at mentalhealthandwealth.com and also check out our other blog posts and podcast episodes. Also, we host a mental health and wealth hangout every other Thursday over Zoom at 5 p.m. Pacific to chat about all things money and mental health. If you'd like to support the podcast, it would mean so much to me if you left a review. And you can also support me at ko-fi.com forward slash Melanie Lockhart. And lastly, I want to remind you to do something for yourself to take care of your mental health and wealth.